Welcome to this episode of Expanding Circles. I'm Jonathan Isaacson. Our latest origin story sees our protagonist driving his Mormon assault vehicle, aka the family van, to school, figuring out how to be a good student during his mission in Mexico, and experiencing Wi-Fi problems during a job interview. Please join me in welcoming Don Hansen. So welcome to our next episode of Expanding Circles. My guest today is Don. How are you doing today, Don? Great. Sunny and starting to warm up, so I'm happy about that. Starting to feel make, maybe spring is coming, so that's good. So, Don, where are you from? I'm from Fresno, California. Okay. Actually, just a little town outside of Fresno. Okay, so another one of our California people? Yeah, yeah. It's a unique spot in California. We're technically not Northern California, maybe like Daniel. And we're not like Southern California. People from L.A. say, oh, you're from Northern California. People from the Bay Area are like, ah, you're more like Southern California, right? So we call ourselves like the Central Valley. Okay. Well, because Daniel was, Daniel was even saying that he doesn't consider the Bay Area right. Northern California. Right. California is such a big state. It's, it's, it's very large. Yeah. <laughs> it so, takes, uh, I don't know, maybe 12 hours to drive all the way the length of the state. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Like Mount Shasta down to L.A., I imagine yeah. it's a good 10, 12 hours, yeah. Yeah, so I, I live in this really big valley where they grow most of the fruit and the vegetables in the United States. There's That's all right. this nutrients coming from two mountain ranges, and it kind of flows to the middle. And so they found out that farming is really, really good there. We get a lot of sun, and uh, yeah, my dad's actually a farmer. Okay. So I come from that farming tradition. Okay, so you grew up, you grew up on a farm then? Uh, not so much. He, okay. he was a raisin farmer. Okay. Fresno is actually the raisin capital of the world. Um, if you know. you've ever eaten a raisin in your life, there's a chance that it was grown in about an hour and a half from my parents' house, anywhere within that radius. Okay, so raise the grapes and then... Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so they make table grapes, but they also make uh, grapes for jelly, mm-hmm. Concord grapes, and obviously for wine. Um, but my father grew them for raisins, for sun-made raisins. Okay. So, yeah. As most Americans will recognize very prominent raisin brand right and so they're gonna be in your oatmeal raisin cookies which almost no one eats but they're in a lot of trail mix or chocolate covered raisins like raisinettes okay yeah well i i do enjoy a good uh oatmeal raisin cookie so yeah okay so i'm it's they're they are they are certainly the neglected sibling of the cookie family they are undervalued underappreciated but nutritionally man raisins are so good for you i love raisins yeah Okay. Yeah. So your dad grew raisins. Uh-huh. My mom's a librarian at the local elementary school. Okay. I grew up in a house that was literally a stone's throw from my elementary school, just like a couple of houses down. It was great because after school hours, they would let us go play on the playground, and it was good. So my mom worked there on and off for a number of years, and that's what she's doing right now. Okay. She loves it. So sounds like it was a good place to grow up? Yeah. I, I grew up outside of the city limits. They built kind of a suburb next to a really, really rundown golf course. And uh, so it was really nice, I think like in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, And it's just turned into this quiet community. There's no street lights. It hasn't grown very much. And man, it was a really nice, safe, pretty clean place to live. Um, my, My, I come from a big family too. So it was nice to have just extra room to run around, and I had cousins who lived down the road about a mile, so 
we were running around everywhere. <laughs> and it was, it was a very ideal place, I think, to grow up. So how many brothers and sisters? I am the fourth of eight children. That is a big family, certainly. Yeah. It, unusual, I think, in today's age. Uh, my parents just love kids, and we had a fun time. I have two brothers and five sisters. I'm the oldest boy, so I have three older sisters. Um, yeah. It's living in a big family is kind of like the movie Cheaper by the Dozen. Haven't seen it. Okay. It's uh, Steve Martin, and he has a bunch of kids and stuff. Um, so it's a lot like that. You share a lot. It's chaotic. There's a lot of fighting. <laughs> so I, I uh, but overall, awesome experience. And I mean, I was just talking to my brother today, and we had it so good. And uh, I'm just grateful to have kind and loving parents. And I, man, I'm really, I just feel really blessed. So what's the age range of all the siblings? What's the mm. oldest to youngest? Yeah, so the oldest was, I think, 16 when the youngest was born. So it was usually about every two or three years. So, okay, so yeah, that would make sense. Eight, eight kids, 16-ish yeah. years. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, my two younger brothers are twins. They're fraternal twins, okay. so my mom only had seven pregnancies. But yeah, it was like two years, two years, two years, three-year gap, three-year gap, and then two-year gap. Okay, so like two, that. three years. Okay, so that's pretty normal, I think. Yeah, I, I was actually in a, in a unique position. My junior year of high school, I was the only one going to that high school. So I didn't have to share the car. Which was awesome. I had way more freedom. And in fact, because we had such a large family, we had to have one of those huge vans. Mm -hmm. We had a 15-passenger van, which was awesome for going to sporting events with my friends. I could just pile everybody in the van. And I actually was voted uh, in the school yearbook the most recognizable vehicle on campus because it was my Mormon assault vehicle, <laughs> my friends like to call it. Uh, I have so many good memories driving that thing. But um, I got to have it my junior year all to myself. So you're driving the big 15-passenger van to school yeah. all by yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like my locker room. I could just throw all my bags in there. Uh, when it didn't get too hot, it could kind of be where I could keep my lunch, too. So it was incredible. Okay. Well, it sounds like you certainly had a enjoyable time growing up. I did. So where did you go off to uh, for undergraduate? Yeah, so I attended Brigham Young University, Idaho. So everyone knows about the BYU that's in Utah. That's kind of like the, the, the flagship. Right. But we also have a campus in Idaho and in Hawaii. Um, yeah, I guess I've heard of BYU-Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. They have a strong about... TESOL program, actually, for an undergraduate. Okay. Um, so... I, they try to let in as many islanders and people from Japan go to that school as possible. It's really hard to get in if you're from the United States to go to Hawaii. Whereas uh, the regular Provo campus in Utah and the one in Idaho is a little bit more easier to get into. So I went to the Idaho one because it's really, really cheap to live there. <laughs> okay. What did you study as an undergrad? Um, I started off as a history education major. I was going to be a history teacher in high school and coach volleyball. Uh, my minor was teaching English to speakers of other languages, and I was like, as the semesters went on, I realized I'm getting really good grades, and I'm really enjoying the, the teaching English part. And uh, in my history classes, I got to the point where I had my placement, I was getting ready to go, I was going to be a teacher in Arizona to teach history, but you had to pass a practicum class, and my practicum teacher for history was a very salty grimy, like, narrow-minded, direct uh, teacher. 
And I failed this class three times. And it got to the point where I said, you know, there's got to be a different avenue to this. I can still be a teacher. And that's when one of my um, professors told me about a graduate program in California that had a partnership with BYU-Idaho so that I could transfer a lot of my credits over and do a three-credit, I mean, a three-semester master's program instead of four. So I said, all right, let's apply for it. And uh, that's how I got out of BYU-Idaho. Back, you said you were a history education major? Correct. Why were you into history? It was just, I had really good history teachers in high school, and they kind of opened my mind to how interesting things are, how they're all connected, and how there's cycles, and how it's just fun to see how people lived then, and to see that we're humans, and we have the same passions and emotions and shortcomings, and we all make irrational decisions, but then there's really good people who also live in the past, and, and we're able to create amazing things, and positively influence our world. So just seeing how everything is connected and how intricate and how wonderful the world was, I, I ate it up. And it was, it was so interesting just to see how big the world was. And I, and I loved that. So I wanted to provide that type of experience for people in the future. And just my personality is that I can connect well with others. And I actually do have a little bit of background in theater and in high school. So I'm, it's almost like I get to be a performer again to be at the front of a classroom. So that's kind of why I chose to be a history teacher. And then once that door kind of closed, I was able to say, well, I can still be a teacher just to teach English. All right, so you go, what was the school in California? Uh, it's Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. Who else was it? Was it Carrie Ann? Carrie Ann. Also did her master's there. Yeah, when she came back from the Peace Corps and did her final semester at Miss, that's what we call it, Miss. Uh, that was my very first semester. And uh, so I got to meet her a couple times, and then she was off to Japan. Is it a big program? or ex- I remember we talked a little bit about with Carrie Ann, but... Yeah, it's a smaller program. I'd say there's maybe 20 people at the start of your cohort, and then obviously with attrition, that ends up being about 12 or 15 people that finish every semester. So it's a small program, small campus. You really, really get to know people well, and it's an awesome school. Amazing program. So what, how was your time? What did you do at, as a, a master's student there? So um, I didn't get a specialization, and I got to take a lot of my credits from my undergrad to there. So I, I was just there for three semesters. I got all the basic training um, in curriculum design. I got all the basic training in teaching methodologies. Uh, but my specialization was actually assessment. Um, you could choose assessment or... Um, curriculum design or uh, research. And I chose testing just because, I don't know, it was interesting to me. So I, I went to um, Mormon missionaries that were serving in that area and learning Spanish. And no one had ever explored how they, uh, how language learning apps like Duolingo um, would influence their, their learning process. So I basically designed a little research project, and on top of that, I had to measure their language gains. So I said, okay, let's do the research, but then my final like magnum opus, my, 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 my capstone, would be this test that I would create to measure as a pre and post test to see how much they learned and what they learned. So that was more of my focus. Even though it wasn't necessarily as much teaching English, my advisors got to sign off on it because 
I was passionate about it and I had a good project set up. Well, and even if it's not specifically English, it's applicable to English. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. I know that's, I mean, that's something I've looked at a little bit myself. I know you said that was kind of your research project now. You're still working on that. Yeah, I'm working on a, a different thing for our students here in Japan. But um, I, was, I served a, a mission for my church in Mexico, which was actually very, very uh, crucial to my decision to becoming an English teacher, too. Um, so I served there for two years, learned Spanish, loved the culture, loved the people, and came away with even a bigger picture of all the stuff that's out there in this world. And I loved it. So at, when I had to change my degree from history to English, that was okay because I had that experience of learning a language in a foreign place. And it was so empowering and so amazing. I wanted to give that experience to others. Um, so that's kind of how it, how my, my LDS church mission influenced my decision to become an English teacher, but also it helped me to create my capstone project, um, which, uh, which was fun. And... Because I know, L, is it all men in the L, young men in LDS do missions, right? So it's an expectation, like they would want you to go, but then no one's going to force you to go. But it's um, strongly encouraged. It is strongly encouraged. I'd say about half of the guys who stay in the church and when they're 18, they say, yeah, I want to go. So they end up going. And the selection process is based on a number of factors. We feel like partially it's inspiration from God, but they also look at what language uh, training you have received previously. So in high school, I took two years of Spanish, did not take it seriously, <laughs> learned how to say, can I go to the bathroom and where are the tacos? Um, but apparently they thought that was good enough because I got assigned to, to go live in Mexico for two years, um, which was awesome. My, my sister, she served her mission in Russia. Um, in college, she saw the Jason Bourne movies and was like, oh, that would be so cool to learn Russian. So she took some Russian classes and then decided she wanted to serve a mission for the church. And they saw, oh, you took Russian? Sweet. So they sent her to Moscow. <laughs> and that's where she served. So okay. that was that experience. So how was, how was your experience in Mexico? You said it was a good experience. Absolutely. What, what sort of things did you do in so our primary responsibility is to help people to learn more about God and to create like fa stronger family networks. Um, so we would go out knocking doors all day, talking to people in the streets, basically getting to know the people and to serve them. Not very many people let us like sweep their house or wash their dishes. Um, but there's just, there's a lot of unfortunate things that happen in life um, with health problems and with marital problems and with um, substance abuse and I'd never experienced those sort of things living in a very sheltered home and environment in California. So going out there kind of opened my eyes to how many people need help and um, it helped me to grow up a lot and to be grateful for what I have and it's there where I also saw the need that people who, who had command of English had a lot more range of opportunities, right? Educationally as well as vocationally. So me being born with this amazing resource, having the lingua franca of the world basically, um, having a chance to give that to others would be an awesome thing to do as an English teacher. But basically my experience in Mexico was out every day in the street in the hot sun trying to find people who were interested in our message. And a lot of people weren't, which is okay, because <laughs> we don't force people to listen to us. But mostly it was just trying to serve and love and, and help people as much as we could and learn the language, too. And so that was right after high school? 
correct. I actually did a semester of UIU Idaho and then went to my mission. That's changed now. You can go right after high school, okay. which is nice. Um, that would have been nice too. But yeah, that was a nice little interlude. My first semester in college was basically staying up until 3 a.m. playing Call of Duty and and joke, messing around with my friends. Um, having to learn a mission, having to learn a language, and to spend so much time serving other people that helped me to manage my time, helped me how to set goals, um, helped me learn how to set goals and how to get things done. So once I came back with a sense of how to actually study and actively work towards a goal, I was a much better student, much better. All right, so undergraduate, off to graduate school, and right. then what'd you do right immediately after you got your master's? <clears throat> yeah, so I like to look ahead as often as I can while still focusing in the present. So when I was studying at, at Miss, I'm constantly networking with people, trying to build relationships, and looking for the best place um, to, to work and to grow for my career, but also for my family. You know, as, as a family man, you have to take care of your wife and your children. I have two daughters as well to take care of, and so I wanted to find the best situation where I could um, have a good career, but also make sure they were taken care of. So I had to look for the highest paying jobs. Unfortunately, there's a lot of places I would have wanted to work with people who really need to learn English in developing countries. But uh, I have responsibilities as a parent, so I felt like I needed to provide for my children and my wife as well. So I had to look for, unfortunately, the ones that would pay me the most. So that's basically the Middle East or somewhere in Asia. And I had heard that Carrie Ann was going to Japan, but I hadn't really focused on, oh, what's that job situation like? And I went to the TESOL conference in Baltimore uh, in 2016 in April. Yeah, so we, I went there just kind of on a hope and a prayer, being like, let's see what's out there. And there were a couple places they were having interviews, and TIU, George was there actually doing interviews. So I sent in my resume and he emailed me back, said, you want to have an interview? And I don't think I had interviews at the other places. I was invited to come to a couple of others, but after I had the interview with George, I said, no, that's what I'm going to gun for. Because <laughs> Japan is a very safe place for a family, a very clean place. And I loved the approach that TIU was taking and compensating us fairly, but also giving us so much freedom to implement the curriculum that we like and also um, to work with, with really awesome people. So I met with George. It's kind of a funny story. In the interview, um, I didn't bring a physical copy of, of my resume because he had the electronic copy, but the Wi-Fi was down in that area. So I sit down, hey, how are you, George? And you know, my nerves like are really on edge. And uh, he said, hey, you know, we're having some Wi-Fi problems. Do, can, you, can I see your resume? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> So I had to go run, and the whole way back, I'm like, oh, I'm such a doofus, like, how could I not bring an extra copy with me, you know? Um, but I got back there and sat back down, was able to show him how my experience and my goals met with TIU, and I thought it'd be a perfect, uh, a perfect situation for them to hire me, and that I would love to do it and give my all, and walked out of the interview feeling really good, but um, he was looking for people right then to hire so that they could start in August or September, right? And I didn't finish school until December. So he said, just reapply next time and, um, and we'll interview you again. So that's what happened. I interviewed like in October of 2016. And then I heard back 
at the beginning of November or so that I got the job and we were just thrilled because it was exactly what we wanted. And so it's been a good experience so far? We've loved it. We've loved it. It's different living as a single man in a different country and culture than living with your family because in Mexico, I just had to take care of myself. But here in Japan as well, I have to consider the needs of my wife and, and my children. Thank goodness for technology that helps us stay close with people across the ocean. And um, my daughter's Yochian is very, very accepting and wonderful, and they treat her really well. So we feel like we've been able to have an awesome experience, not just for living, but also the cool things that we get to see, going to Tokyo Tower and checking out the museums. And um, yeah, it's just been, it's been an awesome experience so far. That's good. Um, kind of curious, if you don't mind, sure. where did you meet your wife? Oh, well, that's another fun story. We, my wife's from the Fresno, California area as well. Like we'd crossed paths all the time, but never like had met. Like, I had been at social gatherings with her brothers, but I, I hadn't gotten to meet her. She's, a, she's just two years younger than me, so it's not like we were in the same group of friends. I, um, I was home for one summer from BYU-Idaho uh, working, and we met actually at a church dance. My dance moves were so, so appealing. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what happened at all. Uh, <laughs> um, we just kind of were dancing with a similar group of friends, got to talking, and then we found out, oh, you're going to BYU-Idaho too. Hmm, nice. We had all these things in common, like our favorite Kool-Aid flavor, and you know, we both loved music, and... What's that Kool-Aid flavor, by the way? Oh, goodness, it was black cherry Kool-Aid. In fact, if you mix black cherry with the, like, the lemon Kool-Aid flavor is paradise. It's, it's like... Yeah, it's wonderful. If I'm I salivating can, right now. <laughs> if I can ever get my hands on Kool-Aid, uh, I'll try that. But. Yeah, I don't know if they let you send a powdery substance through the mail. If it's clearly labeled in a Kool-Aid packet, maybe? <laughs> maybe. We'll have to test that out. So we, um, yeah, we danced, and it was just the back and forth, summer of love, you know, getting to know each other. And once we got to go to BYU-Idaho together, um, that's when we really got to hit it off because we just were able to study together and and uh, it was wonderful. So I have really good memories of Idaho and Yellowstone. We drive through Yellowstone all the time. Um, it's just remarkable. I, I could not have found a better person to spend my life with. Her personality just matches with me and we play off each other and um, I'm just really proud to call her mine and that I can be hers. Sounds like you guys have a good thing going. <laughs> so far, so far, I, uh, there's days where it's, it's difficult. It's not all sunshine and lollipops, as you know. As any relationship is. Yeah, but oh, she's just smart as a whip and so fun. It's, it's hard to find someone that does not like being around her. So, yeah, because I, mean, I haven't interacted with her a lot, but yeah. she just seems like a very nice person every t the few times I've, I've had interactions with her. Yeah, she's, she's so skilled at getting you to like her. <laughs> I mean, it worked on me easily, but everyone else, like our, our friends that we have, our social contacts here, it's more of they want to be with her and I get to come along. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Yeah. I'm not the, I'm, honestly, most people don't, like, because at work, I kind of have my work persona, but 
my private persona is kind of cold and prickly. Yeah. Well, I, I'm more of an introvert myself, too. And you'd never guess it because I get all my words out here. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I feel most recharged and re-energized after I have some alone time. So I find myself waking up earlier to, to get that. Or my walks home to, to, my, to our house are, 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 are so needed for me just to have some time to process everything. I think a lot of people would be surprised at how many teachers are introverts. Yeah. Because I know there's quite a few people I've talked to who are very clearly introverts. Isn't that wild that this, this profession where you have to connect with people so frequently and so deeply that they're introverted in yeah. a sense, or ambiverted in my yeah. case. I'm, I'm very introverted. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, I think it goes back to that kind of, you know, like you talk about theater, like it's a performance. It is. And definitely on the, the stage of the classroom, I'm a different person and I can be extroverted for that hour, hour and a yes. half at a time. Yes. And then go back to be recharged. Exactly. And I do get kind of an adrenaline jump from it, you know? And for me, it's almost kind of empowering that we can take something that's scary and difficult. Being like public speaking is recognized as one of the scariest things for human beings, right? And we do it every day. So to see as an introvert myself being able to do that, it's really cool to see that I can reach outside of myself and uh, do something that's it's really difficult. And that gets me up every morning saying, I can do hard things. And it's, it's really rewarding because the outcome, we're not in it for the money that we make because it's not very much as teachers, but the outcome is the most rewarding part, I think. I cannot disagree with that. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been fun. Thank you for doing this. This is, when I first came here to TIU, I, I wanted to have a chance to sit down with everybody for an hour just to get to know them better. But we're all so busy with our assignments and with, with coursework that we don't get this opportunity. So thank you for providing an outlet for all of us to really get to know each other. Well, it was just an idea I had, and it's, so far it's been going quite well, and I'm, I've been happy with it. So Good. thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions for myself or any of my guests, we now have an email account. You can send questions and comments to expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com. All one word. One more time, that's expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com. It's spring break here. But I've still got a few more episodes coming up, so keep refreshing your podcast feed and keep listening.